Good morning. And I do want to uh, especially greet uh, the mothers who are here. I also want to make sure that not just mothers, but all the women who are here this morning, that you are appreciated deeply by this church. I am beginning to see how this place works. I'm just starting. And uh, I know that it works because of so many of you, the way you serve, the way you give yourself. So again, on behalf of the church, I just want to thank you for your part. You've been a blessing to me, and uh, I'm so grateful for uh, your part in the church. On Mother's Day, I don't know about you, but I have many memories of my mother. You probably do as well. Hopefully they're good ones. And, um, you know, I can think of you know, wonderful memories of my mother's uh, cooking and, uh, you know, her smile, uh, a godly woman. I can remember her prayers. But there's one event that just, that just jumps out on Mother's Day for me. I was uh, probably about fourth, fifth grade. I was sitting in the front lawn of our, of our home, and I noticed our neighbor. He's the neighborhood bully. And he, is, uh, he was like in high school. So he's huge. And his name was Bart. It fits, doesn't it? So I was sitting there, and I had a couple friends with me, and we saw Bart coming over. And he comes up to the front of our property, and he walks on it. He was there to pick a fight. He was there to beat up on me. I was sitting there. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't even said anything. And so he came up. And he says, stand up. I want, to, I, want to, I want to beat you up. I want to take you. I, you know, I don't like you. I go, what did I do? Just stand up. And at that time, I, you know, I got up, thought, okay, I'll take my licking. All of a sudden, I saw a blur. And you know what it is? <laughs> you know. It was my mother. She's probably about this high. Beautiful, but one thing you learned about my mom, don't mess with her kids. So I was standing there like, all right, beat me up. (laughs) And my mother worked right up in front of me and stood right there. And I said, mom, don't do that. She said, get back there. (laughs) You obey mom, you know. And so she stood in front of Bart. I'll never forget. She just goes like this. She goes, uh. You'll have to go through me. And he goes, no, I want your son. She goes, no, you're going to have to go through me. And she actually pushed him, butted him off the property. And I'm back there watching this little lady push this guy off the property. That's what I remember today. (laughs) A mother who loved her her sons and daughter, and uh, I've got some great memories. So Mother's Day is actually a very um, wonderful day for me and because uh, I have so many fond memories of, of her. This morning we are going to pick up our series on our comforter, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And we are now in the sixth part of our series And today I'd like to entitle it the Spirit of Hope. That's the Holy Spirit. And we give him the name the Spirit of Hope because that's what he does. 
That's what he offers. And we want to talk about that this morning. Um, And the spirit of hope was definitely evident in the life of a man that I read about early in my life. His name was J. Hudson Taylor. He almost looks like he's a uh, contemporary, doesn't he? And uh, J. Hudson Taylor was a man who had great faith in a great God. He believed that God not only promised him power, but the very presence of God with him. And this hope gave him courage to attempt great things for the glory of God. He was a 19th century pioneer missionary to China. And I have been to China probably 10, 12 times. And I can tell you, his ministry after 100 years, still you can see the effects of that man's ministry. Pretty amazing. He's regarded by many as one of the greatest missionaries since the days of the Apostle Paul. He spent 51 years of service in China. And his hope was infectious. He's directly credited for, it's hard to even imagine this, 18,000 converts to Christ, personally. He brought 800 missionaries to China and began 125 schools. That's pretty impressive. But life in China was difficult, filled with all kinds of adversity. And he persevered through the death of his wife and seven children, which were devastating to him. Numerous times he was robbed of virtually everything he owned. He faced a civil war that saw many of his co-workers killed and his works and schools destroyed. But he never gave up hope. His words are so, how do I say, credible, because he was credible. Listen to him. Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants, he means by that spiritual giants, have been weak men who did great things for God, Because they reckoned or depended on his power and his presence to be with them. That is the key to understanding this man's life. Filled with hope because he believed in the power and the presence of God with him. That's why God used him in so many great ways. The Apostle Paul was also one of those great men of faith. He's a man who prayed for the churches that he served. He prayed for the church of Rome. He prayed for the church. Believers, I believe, everywhere. In Romans fifteen thirteen, And uh, this prayer really is a prayer for hope. Listen to it. Look at it. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in what? Hope. What a prayer. That's sort of my go-to prayer when I don't know what else to do or how even to pray. One of the many names given to God in the Bible is the God of hope. Because he is the only one we can hope in. And he is the, gives us his Holy Spirit to put that hope in us. The God of hope has given us the spirit of hope so that we might have hope. And when the spirit fills us with this hope, He says it's with all joy and peace. And the joy that he gives will abound. That means it doesn't just a little bit just now, but it has ongoing effect in our life. It can overcome anxiety and it can overcome fear and despair. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and the hope that he gives us. And the peace that he refers to, Well, peace is the Spirit's work that enables us to rest. Rest when everything seems out of control. Rest when you are living beyond your own personal abilities. Rest in letting God take care of the situation. Rest knowing that God somehow, someway is working this situation together for his good. And he says that he he works in us, he empowers us To have abounding hope. That abounding hope comes when you feel depleted and defeated. And it's his power that sustains us when you feel that sense of being weak and weary. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. And our capacity for contentment in life It grows as we learn to trust in God. I believe that J. Hudson Taylor had much to offer us when he writes out of his own situation these difficult things. He's a man who at times was discouraged This is what he says. When I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I can't even pray. Have you ever been there? Here's what he says. I can trust. (laughs) If you can't read, you can't think, and you can't pray, what can you do? You can trust. And Taylor's giving testimony to how God, how trusting him can give us hope. Trusting God can give us a positive perspective to our most perplexing problems. Pessimists. Do you know any? They tend to look at all the problems and see virtually no solutions. They worry about the possibility of a coming flood 
but have no plans for an ark. Pessimism, by the way, is infectious. It's as bad as a virus. But people with hope, they can not only see the potential problems ahead, but are also looking for solutions. They may see a flood that's coming, but they're always building an ark. Today, we need prophets like Noah, not prophets of doom. And I'd like to urge our church, all of us, let's build an ark together. Let's name it hope. And let's ride through this storm. The God of hope is the one who fills us with his spirit. That is what he's praying for. That God would fill us with all joy and peace and fill us with his Holy Spirit. We looked at Romans 15, the prayer of Paul. Now we want to go to a text. A text that is filled with reasons to rejoice. And if there's one thing that is contagious, and one thing that is necessary in the church today, and you can tell when the Spirit is at work, and you know what that is? They rejoice. They're known by an attitude of rejoicing. Why? Because they have hope. That's what we want to talk about. The God of hope gives us reasons to rejoice. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 5, 1 through 2. We'll cover more scripture, but right now we'll just begin here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. Paul certainly is a man who is speaking out of his own experience of difficulty. Now, these verses have helped me stand in grace. Um, Maybe you handle pressure differently than I do. But sometimes it seems a bit overwhelming. I don't know if you've had those moments. Like I say, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to think, you don't know what to pray, but you can trust. I kind of think this is where Paul was. And if this will help you, you try this sometime. When you just start struggling and going, I just don't know what to do. When you are alone, probably best alone, put something on the floor and say, that's grace. And then go stand on it. Just literally stand on it and say, Lord, I'm standing in your grace. 
I don't know what to do, but I'm standing in your grace. I'm not moving. I'm here. I'm dependent. I'm reliant on your grace to get me through this situation. Now, some of you may say, I've never come to that place. And hopefully you didn't, but probably will. (laughs) It's one of the realities of life. Stand in grace, in God's strength, his power, his mercy, his love. Stand there. Claim it. Hold on to it. Because that's what God has promised, is his grace. And our ability to rejoice must be important to God. Because there are 156 references in the Bible to rejoice. For example... We are exhorted to rejoice in God's goodness, his steadfast love, our salvation, and the one that is used most is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in all that he's done for us. Now the word rejoice is found in this text, right here in verse 2, it says we rejoice. You will see that word again later. Twice in our text, in 3 and 11. And we'll hit each of those quickly. So to rejoice is the expression of our delight in who we believe God to be. The word hope conveys a certain predictable outcome or conviction. And hope is an expected outcome based upon The faithfulness and the power of God. That's why we say our hope is certain. It's not just for today, it is eternal as well. So here are the three reasons to rejoice that we will see throughout our text. The first one is that we rejoice for what awaits us, which is what? The hope of the glory of God. We will see... Also, that we are to rejoice going through trials and tribulations because we know our suffering produces hope. And third, we rejoice for who God is. Just that in itself is reason to rejoice. Rejoice in who God is. He's the God of grace and the God of glory. So let's look at this first reason we see in verses 1 and 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this hope, as I say, is a certain hope. It's not like a hope, hope, hope. The hope is not a wish. It is a certainty because God is certain. Because he's always faithful. When we hope in the glory of God, it means we believe in his infinite glory And we are certain that we shall be with him someday in glory. And this is to motivate us. To motivate us to live now for that which is most worthwhile and enduring. You see, hope keeps us looking towards God. Keeps us moving towards what's worthwhile and most enduring in our life. And sadly, many Christians are looking at the wrong things. We need to be looking to where our hope is certain. 
And we have good reason to rejoice with hope, he says, because one, we've been justified. That means we have been declared legally innocent once and forever before a just and holy God. And all God's people said. That's a reason to rejoice right there, right? All our sins, past, present, and future, are fully and forever forgiven. Christ not only perfectly kept the law for us, but he also fully paid the awful price for our sin by becoming our substitutionary sacrifice. He paid the horrible punishment and death we deserved. And that's why we have hope. Hope that gives us reason to rejoice. We rejoice with hope because he's made peace with God for us. We who were once at war with God, enemies of God, are now at peace with God. And you didn't make it. You couldn't make it. So who made it? Christ made it for us. We also have the Holy Spirit in us to give us this peace that comes from God. So it's not just a cessation of a battle. It is also the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can rest. You can be at peace when everything around you looks like chaos. So we can say Christ, therefore, is our peace. And for this, what should we do? What? Rejoice. You're not there yet. You're coming. Rejoice. A number of years ago, I learned that my depth of hope was pretty shallow. As a young pastor, I had many, many struggles trying to plant two churches. But I realized that I had open access to our Father where I could just pour out my heart. Free, open access with Him. Once we were far far off and separated from God, but are now drawn near to him by Christ. We are urged in Hebrews to come boldly to Christ's throne, his throne of grace and his mercy, so that we can find grace in our time of need. Remember that circle? When you're praying and you don't know what else to say or do, stand in the circle and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I need it. I'm standing in your grace. I'm dependent on who you are, what you've promised me. Father God, I need your joy and I need your peace. Our God hears our prayers. In a day like our own, shrouded with darkness and danger and uncertainty, we need to tie a knot at the end of the rope of faith and then just hang on. Hang on with all your strength until the day that we're in glory with Christ. A number of years ago, uh, I had a unique couple in my church. I've had a number of unique 
people in my church over the years. This is a, one of the most unique ever. And they lived on an old farm just outside of the town. And they had a, par- a trailer parked outside with a Union Jack flag painted on it. And the husband had a slight limp from a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his leg. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. And his wife, to say the least and say kindly, was a bit eccentric. But they asked me to come to their home and lead a Bible study. And I agreed. And a number of people came to join us. And when we went into the front room to hold the study, I walked in and I looked. I just, it literally, I just stopped. And I looked. I didn't know what to say. Because there, over the mantle of the fireplace, was a large painting. It had a black flannel background with a nude woman painted on it. And if the woman had been real, she never could have stood up straight. (laughs) And the wife I noticed, the wife noticed that I was very uncomfortable. And here's what she said, something like this. She goes, so what do you think of my husband's uh, painting? Uh, He calls it art, and he won't take it down. Well, I tried to lead the Bible study with my back to the fireplace. (laughs) While the others were sitting, I thought, looking at me, but they at times were gazing. And I knew something had to be done. That Tijuana art piece was not going to make it in this Bible study. Then I had an idea. It's one of the best ideas I've had, actually. I said to the couple, you know what? I have a gift I'm going to bring to you next week. So next week, I had my gift all wrapped up in paper. And uh, I brought it to the front door. They welcomed me in. And uh, I let them open. It was about this big. A big picture. And they took this picture. And they um, took the paper off. And they looked at it and they gasped. It's Solomon's, what's called Solomon's head of Christ. I'd been given to me, so I, I said, here, this is yours. They said, Pastor, no, that's, that's so awesome. You, you didn't have to do that. I said, no, I think I did. <laughs> I said, but, you know, it's a gift, but the gift does have a condition to it. They said, what's that? I go, I got the perfect place for it. So I took the picture of Jesus, if this is the mantle, here's this picture of this. You got the picture. <laughs> and I put it right next to it. And uh, the couple said, you can't do that, Pastor Don. I go, why not? Well, I said, it doesn't look right. 
I said, well, let's just leave it up for a week or so. (laughs) So it came back next week, and there was one picture over the mantle. Which one do you think it was? This one. And I asked, well, what happened to the other painting? And the wife said, my husband couldn't stand looking at the two paintings together. So he took the other one down and he put it in his closet. And all I said is, let's open up our Bibles and start studying. Nothing had to be said. The picture said it all. You see, when you put the beauty of Christ next to anything else that the world has to offer, it quickly dissipates in comparison to him. That's what happened that night. Who do you choose, Christ or that life? And sometimes the hope of glory can be so attractive as I'm discovering, that life now seems a bit futile and fleeting. Now I want to have the hope of the glory of God. That drives me. But it is also the power of the spirit of hope that lives in us to give us hope as we serve Christ until the day we shall see Christ face to face. Back again to Hudson Taylor. You may say, Pastor Don, you got a lot on him. That's because I think he has something to say to us. Before he died, he said, if I had a thousand lives, China should have them. He said, nope, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious Savior? That's a man who had hope. A man who had hope in the glory of God. And doesn't it seem reasonable? Think about it. Doesn't it seem reasonable that we would serve a Savior like that? Who's given us so many reasons to rejoice? Let's move on in our text in verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's reason to rejoice right there. We are to rejoice knowing that suffering produces, ultimately, hope. And we need to know that God can use and does use the pressures of life to give us a greater capacity for hope. And the word that is used here in the original, sometimes we would hear it as tribulation, phlipsis, the Greek word, And it refers to a tribulum. Are you all blessed? Tribulum is a word borrowed from a piece of harvest machinery that resembled a heavy timber 
with long spikes around it. And it was used as a wheat thresher to separate the kernel from the chaff. They would pull it along and it would, if you would, eat up the chaff. And Jesus used this word as well when he said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulations. But take courage, I have overcome the world. He, what is he doing? What is Jesus saying? I have reason for hope, friends, because I've overcome the world. Many times, this is what our tribulations feel like, being thrashed, pressed and beaten down. I can't find a better word to describe sometimes how I feel than tribulation. Today, the word could be translated pressures that bear down on us. Been thrashed? Been beaten down lately? Well, you understand the word. But if you are being thrashed, you are beaten down, Paul said, rejoice. Why? Because hope's coming. Back again to my friend, Hudson, he's a guy who was thrashed for 51 years, so he has reason to speak above the thrashing. He never regretted the cost of sacrifice. He wrote these words. There are three stages to every great work of God. The first is impossible. Then it is difficult. And the last is, then it's done. That characterized 51 years of service to the Lord. You see, we can rejoice. Because see, God has a purpose, even for our thrashing. And we should rejoice in them because thrashing produces many valuable things in our life. If we are convinced that God is sovereign over all things, we can rejoice. Rejoice knowing that even our problems, our trials, are in some way working for good. Our good, hopefully for the glory of God and even for the glory of others, or the good of others. The secret to rejoicing under pressure is acting on what you believe to be true about God. So, here you could say, Pastor John, I totally agree. God's faithful. You could trust him. I could tell you that if, if you believe that's true, I can also tell you, you will be tempted in that way when the pressure comes. But that's where learning to count on Christ, choosing Christ is what will give you hope. In other words, joy, peace, and hope are a choice. Misery, grief, depression, discouragement are also choices. An important distinction is made, however, when we say rejoice in your trials, and your sufferings. Some people don't quite understand what that means. And they've said things that I don't quite. I'm not comfortable with. 
An important distinction needs to be made here between rejoicing because we are suffering and between rejoicing because we believe God is using our trial to work for a good purpose. In other words, we aren't called upon to rejoice that we're in deep pain or that our family's falling apart or that we lost our job or that the doctor diagnosed cancer. Rather, we are to rejoice in how God can use our suffering for his glory and our good. I think Paul, when he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 8.28, again, a familiar verse, but it fits right here. And we know, you have to know, that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And that's the conclusion we must come to. John Piper, if you've ever read some of his books, always has some pithy sayings that are worth capturing. Here's one of them. Life is hard. God is good. Glory is coming. Therefore, stand firm in grace. Remember the circle on the floor? That's kind of what he's saying. Stand in grace, friends. Not guilt. Not pity. But in grace. Now, here's the process that happens when we go through tribulation. It creates hope in us. He says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. It begins with the first step, is learning to persevere. Something that is very difficult is to persevere in a trial. To persevere in suffering. To persevere in a relationship that's bad. Learning to remain rather than to leave. The capacity to endure or bear up under pressure is perseverance. I am so glad that people help me to persevere in ministry. Um, There were times that I walked around as a pastor of a church in my briefcase with a resignation paper just in case I could really have the courage to do it. And you know, I am so glad that I was talked out of that many times by people who love me. And I can tell you this by, if experience will encourage you, the last day that I was in the church that I resigned from, is my retirement thing, the place was filled with people. And I looked and I thought, well, you guys left, but you're back. <laughs> This people, I thought they had such a, a, a problem with my doctrine. The doctrine of election. But here they are. It was filled. People that had sinned and gone off. People that, had, that I had counseled in marriage and I thought for sure they were going to divorce. They're all sitting together. I'm going, 
Lord, am I glad I persevered? Because I got for a few moments, my friends, to see nearing the end of my life the fruit of perseverance. I never would have been there and never would have seen it if I'd yielded to the temptation of quitting, giving up early, giving in. Perseverance. Learn perseverance and guess what you will gain? Proven character. You see, it's through perseverance, bearing up under the pressure that character is developed in your life and it will be proven true, be proven to get you through this and that situation. That's how you grow, is by persevering. And sadly, so many in our generation, they give up and give in too quickly. Learn to persevere. Like I say, Hudson had so many reasons to go back home. But he persevered. Proven character. And when you have proven character, after you've persevered under all this weight and you've gained character that's proven to get you through, what do you end up with? H-O-P-E. Last time I spelled it, it meant hope. Is hope important? It's got to be. The Lord speaks so much about it. And I am here this morning wanting to encourage you as one of you, as one of you, rejoice. We have hope. Good reason for hope. Then, the last reason given to us by Paul in this text is really sort of the the finale. It doesn't get any better than just this. We are to rejoice in God himself. Not just in our trials, but in who he is. Let me read the scripture here for you. For while we were still weak, at the right time, We'd say the right time in history, according to the scriptures, Christ died for the ungodly. Who is that? Us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now watch this. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now been reconciled. There is so much in this, but we will just reduce it down. This is the most amazing good news you can find anywhere in the Bible. Jesus died for us. When? When you were a good guy? 
when you came from a really nice home? When you were born in America? No. While you were still sinners, he saved us from the wrath of God. Christ also is said to have saved us by his life. That means that he lived the perfect life for me. But also, in his resurrection life, he gave us eternal life. By his life, we live. By his life, we have the hope of glory. And the Holy Spirit resides in each of us to bring forth the fruit of joy and peace. That's why we're studying the Holy Spirit. To understand this great treasure that's been dumped into us. To have abounding love. To be able to stand in grace. And God's unfathomable love gives us hope and many reasons to rejoice. It was this hope that stirred the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 8, 37, 30, and one of the most incredible statements about the love of God. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall what? Be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that reason to rejoice or what? This comes from the lips of a man who lived most of his ministry in a prison, in a dark cell. You go, how could you do that? That's right there. When your hope is in the glory of God. When your hope is that your suffering is going to produce proven character that will ultimately give you a life of hope. And that you have reason to rejoice because God loves us. God loves us. Just as he loves his own son because we are in Christ. Summary statement again. Life is hard. Amen. God is good. Amen. Glory is coming. Therefore, stand firm in his grace. If you're depressed, discouraged, perplexed, go draw a circle on the carpet. Maybe something that can easily get cleaned up. Because then you will be in a world of hurt, guys, if you do that. <laughs> Just find a place and declare it. This is my gray spot. Just so you understand that when you're in the gray spot, you can't be moved. When you're standing in the gray spot, you're loved. When you're standing in the gray spot, God's grace is sufficient in any difficulty or problem you're facing. And that's the reason Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus for you. When we talk about hope, we talk about rejoicing. And when we have reason to rejoice, we grow. Pessimism is infectious. But so is optimism. Let's get the bug for hope. Let's build an ark here and call it hope. Let's pray. Father, we're here this morning overwhelmed with this grace that you have bestowed upon us. We're overwhelmed with the love that you uh, showed us on the cross. We're overwhelmed by the love that you've poured out in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, I pray that you will grant to everyone who is uh, hearing my voice this morning that you will give us hope. Hope that's based on reason. Hope that comes from understanding what it means to be justified. To be declared righteous. So many reasons to give you thanks this morning, but we do rejoice because we know that your son Jesus is the reason for our joy, the reason for our hope. May you help us build an ark for your glory that's called hope.